0: SECTION 47 OF A MINOR WAR HISTORY This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon A Minor War History by Martin Alonzo Haynes Letter 128 Point Lookout, Maryland January 16, 1864 a mail reached us yesterday, the first we've had since the ninth. Reason the ice in the river. The boat started from Washington all right, ran down as far as Mount Vernon about fifteen miles and anchored for the night. When she started, she didn't start, for she was frozen in as tight as a drum. And there she lay in the ice for two days with our mail aboard. Then another boat came and cut her out. During this layup, some of our boys on board went ashore on a visit to Washington's home and tomb. The monotony of camp life has been broken by a raid across the river into the counties of Northumberland, Lancaster, and Richmond. The expedition left here last Tuesday the 12th and was made up of 150 cavalry and detachments of 150 men from both the 2nd and 12th. Bill Ramsdale was one of the marauders, and he says it was one of the greatest larks of the war. The men came home loaded with every conceivable kind of plunder, but they were pretty well fagged out. The expedition went up the river about fifteen miles, then up a creek several miles, where they destroyed a sloop and several schooners, then landed and marched inland. They spread out over the country and picked up quite a number of prisoners. Soldiers on furlough, conscript officers, etc. One of these was a captain who was enjoying a carriage ride with his lady love. He was politely requested to get down. One of the boys politely took his seat in the carriage, politely drove the young lady home, politely helped her out, bade her goodbye with exquisite politeness, and drove away with the team as a prize of war. You asked me about Charlie Farnham. It was not here but down in South Carolina, I think, that he was drowned. He had been discharged from this regiment and had joined the Navy. As we hear it, he was in a boat, which capsized, and he had nearly reached the shore when he sank. Sunday, January 17th I must tell you before I forget it, all about our crazy man— One of the fellows in my tent who came out about two months ago had evidently got tired of this service and began to play crazy for a discharge. He began to sleep all day so as to be in good shape to lie awake all night. For two nights he kept us awake with his boots ten feet long, man in the tent, where am I, who am I, and such nonsense. When awake in the daytime, he was continually hunting for horsehairs on his hands, and it was a decidedly interesting case of amateur lunacy. He couldn't eat anything, so he said, but he managed to back away a good quantity of grub on the sly. Well, he started in on his third night and kept his twaddle going until midnight, when something happened. Dan's Irish got the best of him and he could hold in no longer he kicked off the blankets that covered us elevated his heels and fairly kicked the top bunk into kindling wood the crazy man landed on the stove and the wreckage was scattered all over the tent then old dan opened up with his tongue and gave our amateur lunatic hail columbia rule britannia and erin gobra all rolled into one and threatening to take him out and pitch him into the river if he didn't become immediately and permanently sane. Dan's treatment effected a complete and wonderful cure. One of the old men of the regiment was married a short time ago to the daughter of an old planter living up country a short distance. The fellow was Pete Graplin, the girl, seventeen and very pretty, the parents, rich. The old folks were dead set against any such arrangement. But Pete and the maiden were determined. So down to the point he brought her, and she became Mrs. Gravlin. A collection has been taken up in this regiment for a fund to build a chapel. The human desire to outstrip our neighbors has made the collection a success. The twelfth built one, which cost three hundred dollars, and now twice that sum has been raised in the second, and we are congratulating ourselves. Not upon the prospect of having a chapel, but upon the fact that it'll be bigger than the twelfth. End of letter one twenty eight. Letter one twenty nine. Point Lookout, Maryland, January twenty third, eighteen sixty four. I am seated in the sutler's shop at the prison camp with a whole ream of paper before me, waiting to be written over. The mail got in last night, for a wonder on time. A warm spell has opened the ice in the river. I got a letter from Frank Morrill, and he writes me, I want you to assume command of Francis and Neely when you hear that I'm coming home. Meet me at the depot and escort me to the house. When he came, he came in his coffin, having received mortal wounds the following July. We have had a most delightful day, and the boys in company, I, have been busy stockading their new Sibley tents. As soon as they move in, I will have a post office tent all to myself, and I have got it in my mind now just how it'll be rigged up for my business, even to the establishment of an art gallery, the nucleus of which I already have in a highly colored lithograph from a cigar box. Sunday, january twenty fourth. I am messing now with Hen Everett, who is clerk for the adjutant, and a fellow named Sosman. We do our own cooking and as a consequence live better. Much better than we should if we depended entirely on the company cooks and rations. We have beefsteak, baked beans, fritters, and the best coffee on the point, and gathered about our little mess table at the adjutant's quarters. Envy no man his share of the good things of life. Last night I saw about fifty rebels take the oath of allegiance. It was an impressive sight when these men raised their right hands, and with uncovered heads, swore to support the Constitution and the Government of the United States. They have a camp outside the prison camp, and are on practically the same footing that we are. End of Section 47